Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Hey, I'm Erica Muller, host of Here For It. Self-discovery is an endless journey, and each week I'm bringing on experts, industry leaders, and friends where we'll be talking all things life, fashion and beauty, personal development, and probably some pop culture along the way as well. Here For It is your weekly space to get grounded, regroup, and be inspired to live your best life. Because really, we're all figuring it out as we go. And I'm here for you. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Hi guys, welcome back to Here For It. My name is Erica Moeller. For anyone new around here, welcome. I'm very happy to have you. This week's episode is equal parts educational and entertaining. I had environmental scientist and dairy farmer Tara Vanderdusen on the podcast. She is also a co-host of the Discover Ag podcast, and I had her co-host Natalie on back in December, and I learned so much from talking to her about cattle ranching and beef and navigating the grocery store and just a different lens of agriculture and farming than I've ever had access to before. And similarly with Tara, I learned so much from talking to her about dairy and environmental impacts of agriculture and just, again, another lens of where our food is coming from that I think a lot of us don't have access to. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, or if you know me personally, you know that I was vegan for a number of years, I was vegetarian for a number of years, and now I eat kind of whatever I want, however I want. I got to a point where labeling the way that I ate just wasn't serving me. Um, And I'm a big subscriber in life to the idea that there's ebb and flow and what you might want or need one day can change the next. I also think as women with the way that our bodies and hormones work and our cycles that it's not crazy for me to think that what I need one day is going to be different than what I need the next. And so I eat just honestly everything. I'm a lover of almond milk, but I put half and half in my coffee. I buy vegan ice cream, but I also buy dairy ice cream. To me, it it can exist both, and I've found that that's what works the best for me. But either way, whichever way you decide to eat and consume food is totally up to you, but I do think it's important and interesting to know where our food is coming from. And so I learned, like I said, a lot from Tara this week. She dives into what growing up on a dairy farm was like. Um, environmental impacts of agriculture, how to know which milk to buy in the grocery store if you are buying dairy milk. We played a round of Hereford or not, and she shares her thoughts on lab-grown meat, uh, GMO crops, almond milk. It was really fun. We dive into like the world of celebrities and the Got Milk campaigns and how um, marketing impacts the way that we eat. One thing I really appreciate about Tara is her ability to call out agriculture and farmers where they aren't doing as good of a job and having transparency like that I think is so important and you'll hear that from her in this episode. So with that being said, here is Tara. So you grew up in New Mexico. You must be a Hatch Green Chili fan. 
<laughs> Most definitely. I well, and I don't even care if it's a hatch. I just feel like I'm a New Mexico green chili stan. I will like put green chili on everything. My husband and I had a conversation a few years ago and we were like, I don't think I can name a single food that like green chili wouldn't be good on. Like it's good on everything. So true. And I feel like it truly only exists in New Mexico. And if you ask people about it outside of the state of New Mexico, they one either look at you like you're crazy or they hand you like a green bell pepper. And it's just like, you guys are missing out. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Colorado tries to like yes. do a little bit. And I'm like, you guys, I'm sorry. Leave it to New Mexico. Just like import it, you know, just bring it up. Like, cause they just, every time I've ever had like Colorado green chili, I'm like, it's not as good. It's not as spicy. Like it just doesn't hit the same. No, wait, do you like it spicy? Pretty spicy. I feel like in comparison to like my dad and my husband, I am like a total baby, but they're on another level. So like when I eat with Natalie, my co-host, she is always like, this is so hot. And I'm like, it's not hot at all. And so I just feel like there's a spectrum, you know, yeah. like there, it's very like, I'm probably fall somewhere in the middle. It's like sometimes my husband will eat it and he'll like have the hiccups. And I'm like, you think maybe it's too spicy? And he'll be like, no, it's just how I like it. And I'm like, you are crazy psychopath. Like I do not want it that hot. No, I don't need a physical experience along with yeah. it. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. Okay, well, so now that we've established you grew up in New Mexico, you also grew up on a dairy farm, which I think is pretty cool. Can you share a little bit about that? What was your childhood like? Yeah. So growing up on a dairy farm is a very unique experience to say the least. I mean, everyone's childhood is unique, but dairy farming is a little bit out there. Um, so yeah, I grew up on my family's farm and my family's actually, I'm a fifth generation dairy farm. So like dairy farming goes way back in my family history. So it's kind of like obviously all my family and I know. Um, but yeah, I grew up, I think I lived about 50 steps from our milking barn. That's where I grew up. So like in the thick of it, you know, in the mix of it, right on the farm. And it was so much fun. I mean, the entire dairy was like your playground. Like you had you know, would make hay forts and build, you know, forts out of tires. And there was always like cats and animals, you know, like calves. My dad would pick up the occasional like uh, pig. And so we'd have piglets and it was just kind of crazy uh, all the time. Just so many different things going on. And there was just, you know, being on a dairy, you have like a team of people that would, you know, be on the dairy as well, like our herdsmen and stuff. And so there was just always like somebody like I, one of my favorite childhood memories is my parents told me they would not take my training wheels off my bike. And I was like, I want my training wheels off my bike so bad. So they were like doing something and I took my bike to our like mechanic shop and the mechanic removed the, uh, tires for me, the, the training wheels, because <laughs> he didn't know the, obviously the entire situation, but like, just like little things like that. Like there was just like all these people that you were around and it was just so much fun. Um, having all those different aspects of like growing up, you were a little problem solver. You were like, <laughs> yeah. I, there's somebody around here who's going to help me with this. I totally was. I was like, okay, they said no, but like, they're not the only adult around here. <laughs> that, that man back there, the mechanic has, you know, a wrench. He can help me take these off. Um, and thankfully he totally did. So. Oh my God. So you had a lot of different animals, like you mentioned cats and stuff. What, were there other animals other than cows that you were like really, really taking care of? 
No. So cows were definitely like our main focus and we raised our own calves as well. So we had young calves all the way up, you know, to mature cows. And then, like I said, the occasional, you know, other animal would show up. I mean, I do feel like that does happen on a farm. Like even the farm I live on now with my girls, like we have two fainting goats for no other reason than they are super entertaining and hilarious. My girls love them. So, you know, you do end up with the occasional like stray animal, um, lots of cats, uh, you know, obviously on a farm, I feel like there's lots of cats. So one of my favorite things when I was growing up is there was lots of cats always in the shop and you would try to catch the kittens because I mean they were like wild kittens mm -hmm. and so you could spend hours like just trying to get like one single kitten to pet and then it would take off again and like you know you'd have to start all over again the next day uh you know figuring out where the kittens were at so that you could try to take one home um but they it was it was wild it was definitely a lot of different animals going on so I'm curious how dairy farming has changed since you were growing up to now, because like you mentioned, your kids are growing up, um, around it. Are, do you feel like they're getting the same sort of experience that you had? Yeah, it is kind of wild to like reflect back on that. Like about about a hundred years ago, a little less, you know, I have a picture from my grandfather and he was in the Netherlands in the 1940s. And it's a picture of him milking cows by hand, like sitting on an old, you know, stool, like the three legged wooden stool, milking a cow by hand. And when I see that photo compared to like what my husband and I do today, it is wild how far we've come and how many improvements and advancements we've made. And as far as like my girls growing up on it, it is a little bit different. I would say, um, you know, there's a lot going on, I feel like, on farms now, more so than maybe when I was a kid, uh, a lot more like trucks and heavy equipment. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of conversations with the girls about like safety and looking both ways. And I mean, my parents had the same conversations with me, but it was just a little bit like smaller scale, I feel like. Um, and so that is something that has changed. There's just a lot of activity on a dairy farm. There's a lot of trucks, a lot of tractors and just a lot going on that, you know, when you are like running around having fun on the farm, you have to be very conscientious of like what's going on like chances are everyone else can't see you you can see them so you've got to be like in charge of like where you're at what you're doing um and just like you know safety i would say is a big conversation i have with my girls nowadays yeah that makes sense uh one thing i learned from natalie was like generational farming is so is like such a big deal does that also trickle into like the help that you have on the farm like are those people also generationally um staying with farms yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like it's like always uh, a fun fact when people tell you like how long they've been with, you know, your family's farm. Um, obviously, now I dairy farm with my husband and his family and all of the people that have been a part of his team for decades. So I love talking with them because I don't always know all of their stories the same way I knew all the stories from like the people I grew up with on my farm. Um, but our herdsman um, on the dairy we live on right now, I think he has been with my father-in-law for over 40 years, which is wow. so crazy. He actually lived in California. My father-in-law moved to New Mexico, moved his entire family, my husband, all of his brothers to New Mexico in the 90s. And a lot of employees moved with them. And so it's really crazy, like even some of the people in our small town now um, that don't even work for our farm anymore, like they've gone on and done other things or their kids have done other things, but they were a part of some of the families that originally moved out here. And so it's just really crazy to see like how tight knit that community is. And then even dairy as a whole, like. It, there's some really crazy stories. Dairy farmers are known for kind of like moving together throughout the country and like migrating together. And so like my babysitter I had growing up, her mom babysit my dad in California. And so it's just really crazy, like the generational like families that have stayed together and just like been a part of each other's lives for so, so long. And I, I think some of it goes back to like, 
um, all of our grandparents immigrated from the Netherlands. And so they left a lot of family behind. And so when they came to this country, you know, they kind of bonded together with people that maybe they didn't know them, but they were at least from like similar backgrounds, similar countries. Um, and so it's just kind of carried on through the generations. I think that's so cool. I, I honestly feel like it's pretty special and unique. Like, I don't think you hear about that very often. It is definitely very unique. And so, yeah, if you meet, there's a lot of Dutch dairy farmers throughout the country. Um, there's always, there's some Swiss ones, you know, there's a few different like countries where dairy farming was very big in Europe and then it was brought here. And so it is very fascinating to hear about those like family history stories. I'm sure. Um, you touched on leaving the farm and coming back. And I know you did the same. You went to school and you became an environmental scientist. Where did that come from? Yeah. So totally kind of out of left field a little bit when you like look at the big grand scheme of things. Um, but when I left, you know, my small town, I went away to college. I didn't know anyone at the college I was going to. That was really important to me. I wanted to go to a bigger city and like kind of get out of my small town, which I feel like is kind of a common thread with mm -hmm. a lot of like rural kids, like wanting to do something a little different. And so when I first left for college, I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in the science field, but I didn't see myself coming back to the farm ultimately. And as I was obviously going through college, I kind of fell in love with the environmental science degree and the classes that I was kind of exposed to and ultimately ended up getting my degree in that. But as I was going through college, here in New Mexico, my dad was a part of a group that was working on dairy regulations within our state. So exactly, you know, how much water dairies can use, how much, how they manage their manure and like all of the kind of like, I joke the back end of the dairy. And so obviously those were like formative years when he was going through that while I was in college. And I remember thinking like my dad and the regulators were like trying to have the same conversation, but they were speaking a different language to each other. Mm. Like they didn't always like see eye to eye. And so I was like, you guys need like a mediator that we could come in and like talk to both of you guys and we could find common ground. Um, and ultimately that is kind of what my job ended up being through environmental consulting is, you know, dairy farmers would hire me and then I would go and talk with the regulators and the people, you know, writing their permits and, and be able to have those conversations. Um, and in my mind, hopefully like kind of help both of them come to like a really good understanding and agreement on what regulations for dairy farms would look like. I think that's really cool. And also I like that you touched on this because as a consumer who, you know, my background isn't really in ag at all. I think kind of the narrative that gets thrown around to the general public is like people in the agriculture industry are out of control. Nothing's being regulated. Um, and really there's a lot of checks and balances within the system that we just like aren't being told. Yeah, it's crazy the misconceptions around agriculture. Like I there's a micro like commentary that he gave that was like people like think very like lowly of farmers that they're like uneducated, they're like messy or sloppy or like dirty. Like he he said it so well and he it was a company with a video that highlighted it. And I do think there are like some tropes out there and like stereotypes, misconceptions about farmers. And it does like bleed over into that exact area that you're talking about, about like regulation. Like there is this like thoughts that it's that we're yeah, not regulated or there's no control and that we're just like out here doing like whatever we want. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, milk is one of the most regulated foods in our country. Like we, every single tanker of milk that leaves our farm is tested at the parts per trillion for 
a ton of different things to ensure quality and safety and just every single one of the standards that we have to test for. And so when you really like kind of peel back the layers there, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that I feel like consumers aren't always aware of just because it's, as you said, it's not ever talked about really. It's not ever highlighted. Like that's not what you're seeing in mainstream news and media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had no idea that milk was so regulated, but like, why would I? Right. And that is, I think, one of the things, too, that I actually blame farmers for. I don't I I guess blame is not the right word, but like I think we need to take more responsibility for that. Like, why would you know that? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like there's so many different jobs. Like, I don't know all the ins and outs of, you know, someone that's a banker or someone that does insurance Mm -hmm. or someone that does technology. Like, it's impossible in this day and age for us all to know all of the different areas that like people are involved in. And that's where I think like. I feel like Natalie and I with Discover Ag want to create more of like trust. Like maybe if you got to know us a little deeper, there would be more trust between all of us and that you would trust us to know that we are like taking a ton of responsibility, that we are trying to always be improving, that we we take, you know, the feedback that we're given and 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 make changes. And so I think that's something that's like really at the heart of like what Natalie and I like to do is just kind of open up that dialogue to be able to form that trust, those bonds and those relationships with people. I think trust is a great word. And I do feel like as a consumer, that is kind of the piece that's missing because, um, anything that I'm, I feel like I'm being marketed to, it's like a fear-based message. Oh my gosh. You're going to get me on my soapbox about fear-based marketing. Go Go, girl. Terrible. Well, I don't know how we've gotten to this place in our world where everything is associated with fear. And I mean, and again, I I take some of that responsibility on like marketing our food products. Like I've, I've seen an organic milk commercial that really bashed conventional milk. And I, I understand they were trying to market their product, but like, I'm like, you ultimately just created more fear around food than necessarily like selling your product. And I, I really hate that. Like, I'm like, I wish we could get to a place marketing our food where you could highlight the positives of your product without fear mongering mm-hmm. people about other products. Do you know, like it's, it seems like we're in an age where it's like, if you can make another product seem worse then like your product wins by default. And I'm like, how about you like highlight the positives of yours and have a more positive conversation. But obviously, you know, fear sells, fear engages people. And that is what they're leaning on. But it is really, really frustrating because in the end, I think it harms all of food, all of ag that we we're just such a small portion of the population that when we market kind of against each other or we pit foods against each other, I just think the conversation ends badly. Like it, it's not good for any of us in the end. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And again, as from my consumer perspective, one thing I learned from Natalie is labeling and not all of labeling is regulated. And so then it is, what does natural mean? Is natural even something that I should care? Like how, as a consumer, I'm not being educated on how to read a label. Yeah. And I think labels started out in a good place where it was to hopefully like tell you about the product. But I think ultimately we just ended up in a completely different spot. I was listening to a podcast from two poultry producers, which I know very little about chicken. That's not my like expertise at all. Mm -hmm. I'm very much in the cattle world, but they were saying that somebody along, like whether it was Purdue or Tyson decided to do the no hormones. There Mm -hmm. is no hormones in any chicken on the shelf anywhere. Like they're not used at all, but someone got wind of like, Oh, consumers like to see no hormones. So then they slapped that on the label. Well, then it created this whole, like, again, fear of like, oh, so some chickens are getting hormones. Yeah. And it's like, 
No chickens are getting hormones, but somebody put a label on it. And so it's very frustrating because, you know, it, it even like this bleeds over into like, I feel like the gluten-free world mm. is a great example. I've seen a milk bottle with gluten-free on it. Obviously no milk contains gluten. And I brought it up to the marketers and was like, what in the heck is this? And they were like, we actually get calls from people asking if milk is gluten-free. So then we put the label on it and it's like, okay, I get why you have to do that, I guess. But then it just creates even more confusion. And so that's the label conversation is so hard. It's like, you can't, I don't know that there's like a right or a wrong answer, but I feel like we have to do a better job with our labels of them actually telling you about a product versus maybe telling you what it not is not like we've mm -hmm. got to get, find some balance there. Yeah. As again, the consumer, I need a resource somewhere that says, here's actually how to learn the language of a label. Yes. It's like, we need a glossary at this point because yeah. you, you brought up the word natural, like natural. It doesn't mean anything. It's completely unregulated. Like, but marketers love to use it because it has been shown that people will pick a product that says natural over the exact same product. that doesn't say that even though it absolutely doesn't like, there's no backing behind the word natural at all. So it is kind of crazy when you really, um, start peeling back those layers of, you know, yeah, like you said, I mean, marketers are going to market their product, but what does it actually mean? Yeah. And I feel like I'm guilty of that, of like reaching for the natural over not. And I think it's because again, back to the fear messaging, um, I feel like we get told so often, like how toxic our world is. And so if something's not natural, my first immediate thought is, oh, well, there must be chemicals or something in it that I shouldn't be either ingesting or having in my home or whatever the product is. I know Ed, this is actually what Natalie and I are going to be talking about at South by Southwest. This is what our, our presentation is about is kind of like, I feel like we open up our social media and you see all of those food influencers right now in the grocery store that right they're like barking at you about, you know, the backs of labels and, and chemicals and exactly all the things you said. And when you're being bombarded with that messaging, it is very hard to kind of like sift through what is real and what is not real and what, you know, what the truth is. And so that is something that is like a big platform for Natalie and I is that like fear mongering that's happening through like the food influencers and like that we, uh, you know, as agriculture, I think we need to step up as farmers and do a little bit better job of being like, if you have questions, like we need to give resources for people to be able to ask and get questions answered. Um, that, that makes a little bit more sense than, you know, yeah, just all of these different messaging that are coming from all these different groups. Totally. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I think another, uh, message that I see pretty frequently, agriculture gets blamed for a lot of environmental issues. And I'm curious where that comes from. Yeah, that is also, it is a really crazy narrative about, you know, the cattle are killing the planet or that yeah. ag, you know, is, a, is an impact and ag absolutely has an impact. So today in the United States, agriculture as a whole, so that's plants, animals, everything accounts for about 11% of total emissions. A fun fact I love to share though, is agriculture and forestry are actually a carbon sink. So we remove 12% of emissions. So we are actually in a deficit of how much we remove versus how much we produce. But but 
I mean, we still have an impact. And so I do think that a lot of different pieces of agriculture are working on being more sustainable. I know dairy has the goal of being carbon neutral or better by 2050. And if you look at our like last, you know, 75, 50 years, 25 years, like in different increments, we've made some crazy improvements. We've reduced our carbon footprint by 66% in the last 75 years. And so I'm like, absolutely, I could see us in the next you know, a little less than 30 years, making even bigger strides of being able to lower our emissions. Um, with that being said, I do think our emissions are overstated. So dairy, for example, is about 2.5% of total emissions for the United States. Mm -hmm. And when you look at how much protein and calcium and all these things that Americans get from dairy, it's like our our percentage is probably not ever going to be zero, right? Like we are producing a food for people to be able to consume and mm -hmm. to like sustain their life, you know, sustain their bodies. Um, and so it's a weird conversation of where the environmental side of things go. I also think it's much more complex than people like mm -hmm. to give it credit for. I think in the United States, we get carbon tunnel vision that it's like yeah. this much carbon is produced by this food or this whatever. And it's a system, right? Like there, it's not, you can't take out one piece. Like for example, for dairy cows, you know, if you were to remove dairy cows, it would create a big issue that dairy cows actually eat a lot of like quote unquote byproducts. So when you make ethanol, which is a renewable resource or renewable fuel source, um, there's a lot of leftover product and our cattle actually eat them. So if you took cattle out of the equation, like what would you do with all of those mm. like leftover products kind of? And so that's another piece that people I feel like don't always consider. Like they just look at carbon in, carbon out and not how cows are part of an entire system. And I'm sure Natalie, you know, if you talked with Natalie, like her cattle grazing out on pasture improves soil health, which increases carbon sequestration. Like there's so many different pieces to this conversation that really get left out. Totally. I'm curious, do you know what the industry with the largest carbon footprint is in the United States? I don't know about individual, but uh, energy transportation and industry make up between 75 and 80 percent of all emissions. Yeah. And then agriculture is obviously, like I said, in that about 11 percent. And then there's a few other like, you know, smaller sectors in there. Um, and then you can break those up, right? Like what is transportation? Then yeah. you're going to break it up into airlines and all of those. Um, but yeah, energy, transportation and industry are, I mean, well over three fourths of our total emissions. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I don't think that there's an industry out there that doesn't have an impact in some way, like just Absolutely. existing as a human, you have some sort of footprint. Yes. Absolutely. And that is what one of my big things is like all foods have an impact. And I actually heard a quote from a woman who was in the fishery industry and it was so well said. She said, tell me what you care about and I'll tell you what kind of food you should buy because there are different positives and negatives to every single food. Like if you are, you know, maybe uh, reducing your meat consumption and you're increasing like jackfruit. Well, is that being imported? Right. Or mm -hmm. like if you are choosing to do some other plant-based food, like in my area, New Mexico, we're not growing a ton of plants. Like we, we grow potatoes, peanuts, and we have a lot of cattle, but if I'm having to import a bunch of other foods, like where is that trade-off then in supporting like a local economy? Like there's so many factors to sustainability beyond, you know, the, just the environmental footprint. You have to think about like the socio culture, like what is so socially acceptable for different foods. And then economically, um, there's, it's a very, I feel like it's like an onion, you know, there's just layers yeah. to it, um, that are more complicated than we, I think we want our food system to just be like cut and dry, like choose this and it's better for the environment. Don't choose this. Like it's worse for the environment when really it's just not always that black and white.
I think that's such a good point that people care about different things. Um, you can't expect everybody to have, you know, the same wants and needs and um, opinions about stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, for some people buying local is really important. Um, fun fact, if you buy just the regular store-bought milk on the shelf, it typically comes from a farm less than a hundred miles from you on average and takes less than two days to get from farm into the grocery store. So like super local product. Uh, maybe that's not important to you though, right? Like maybe something else is important to you. And so you're going to choose a different product. Uh, and that really like goes to like, you know, what people care about and what, like what's motivating them in their purchasing decisions. Totally. One of the things you guys say a lot is putting this like fresh female perspective on the agriculture industry. And I truly think it's so needed. Like it is very um, refreshing to see and also to have a face that's like, I can put this girl to this industry and I trust her and she's educated. And I just think it's so needed. Yeah. I think that, um, something Natalie and I have always felt is that we, um, relate a lot to our, like our urban counterparts, like big time. Like, I think we have a lot of the same interest and that's something we've seen over and over again. And so it's so nice to be able to carry those commonalities of things we care about, whether it's pop culture or, or whatever that, and then kind of like it bleeds into agriculture a little bit, right? Like with discover ag, I, I always say it's like a meld between like pop culture and food somewhere in the middle of there. And then it has a little bit of agriculture sprinkled in as well. Um, but trying to have a little bit more fun with it. I feel like a lot of the conversations around food and farming are just so serious from the farmer side they're either from the chef side or like the food influencer side or they're very serious on the farmer side whereas I feel like we wanted to have a little bit more fun have it be a little more approachable relatable when we had these conversations about food and it really is and I think it's incredibly helpful one of the first if not the first episode of discovered that I ever listened to um you were talking about celebrities that owned their own farms and I was just like oh my God, this is everything I didn't know I needed. It just like fed my soul in a really interesting way where I felt like I was learning something, but it was also kind of like lighthearted and not so serious, but just like a fun little tidbit that I'm like, oh, I didn't know so-and-so had a farm, like interesting. Yeah, that one was a really good one. I love when we can get a celebrity uh, feature in there. We're gonna have some more coming up. Got Milk campaign has been working with a ton of celebrities, and we need. To, I want to cover it on the podcast because I think people would be fascinated to see how many celebrities are like coming back into the Got Milk fold, like. Um, Tons, tons of big names. And so uh, it is, we try to have a lot of fun with it and be like, not on that serious note. I actually had that like on my list that I wanted to mention to you. So it's so oh, funny yeah, that you awesome. brought it up um, because, you know, growing up, I remember so many celebrity got milk ads, you know, like Miley Cyrus did hers with Annie Leibovitz and, you know, it was always in the front or the back of my teen Vogue. And it was just like <laughs> yes. very commonplace. And then like you mentioned the pendulum shifted. And then it was a lot of beyond meat and, uh, plant-based. And so it's really interesting to see that people who have gone, and I think actually Miley Cyrus is a good example of that where she, you know, was a carnivore and then became vegan. And now she's back to eating meat again. Yes. There's a few that have really, they've followed that total trajectory of like what was trendy and like the foods. Um, and so it is fascinating to follow those, but yeah, got milk, um, is doing some really cool campaigns. So they had with Aubrey Plaza, they had the got the, the wood, got wood. Yes. 
And so they've been doing a lot of like parodies or satires, which has been hysterical. I personally have really loved them. I know poor Aubrey Plaza got a ton of hate, but I thought it was hysterical. Um, and so right now the big campaign that Got Milk is doing is It's Okay to Milk. And it's for people who have celebrities who have shared online about how they drink milk and then gotten like hate for it yeah. with, you know, misinformation about, you know, dairy's impact on the environment or its health or whatever. And so it's a campaign they've teamed up with. I feel like it, they've done like Cardi B. They did Queen Latifah. They did Paige from Giggly Squad. They've done so many people um, and it's all their, you know, it's the parody is like, I've gotten hate for this too. Like, it's okay if you drink cow's milk, like you can share. And the comment section is hysterical. Like, it's just so good. I love, I love the marketing campaign behind it. Um, Cause it's just very lighthearted and having a lot of fun with it. Um, some of the other celebrities I've seen have done, you know, really great recipes, which is always nice around the holidays. Um, but it's fun to see those ads kind of, I don't know, resurface, come back around um, and seeing celebrities kind of like get, get on the bandwagon with that. Totally. I think it's refreshing. I, I heard Hillary Duff on a podcast and they were asking, Oh my her, gosh, like, I saw that one. Okay. Too. <laughs> and she was like, can you believe that I drink cow milk? And they were like, yes. <gasps> and she was like, you guys, it's not, it's not that serious or not feeling like, because she's a celebrity, she can't be honest in like how she actually is living her life. Yeah, it is. And that is exactly the vibe of this. Like, it's okay to milk uh, slogan is exactly like Hillary Duff. Like, can you believe I drink cow's milk? And it's like, no, that, that's amazing. That's totally fine. That's great. It's a great product. Uh, and so I, I actually shared uh, that audio on a reel because she was just so it was so funny. She was so genuine. And you could just hear it in her voice, like how cute it was. Um, you know, we have Hailey Bieber wearing Got Milk t-shirt, which I feel mm -hmm. like is a very like throwback to the 90s, which was fun to see. So um, yeah, there's a lot going on out there in the world celebrities drinking milk totally it's so it's just like fun to see I feel like it's gotten more lighthearted as time has gone on and it's like refreshing because it doesn't feel like that fear-based messaging absolutely like the Aubrey Plaza one I mean I, I don't even know that it really tells you anything about milk it just was hysterical like such good comedy around yeah. wood milk and how she bought into this wood wood milk brand and, and yeah it was just it, it was so much fun with it like I mean did people go out and like grab a glass of milk afterwards I mean I hope so but really it was just I think it just was exactly what you said that lighthearted feeling around you know a very nostalgic you know like idea of like this got milk campaign from the 90s um and, and a lot of fun with it Okay. So going back to labeling really quick, if somebody is going to the grocery store and they want to buy dairy milk, how do they know which carton of milk they should buy? Yeah. So there is a ton of options out there. Um, I personally buy the cheapest milk on the shelf. So just the regular old conventional milk, that is what I get. That is what I feed my family, what I feed my kids. Um, and I feel so good about it. Uh, as I said, kind of going into like the back end, I know exactly how it's regulated, how it's tested. I mean, that's the milk leaving our farm. We're just a conventional dairy farm. Um, and I like feel so good about our quality standards. Um, if, you know, you choose organic, organic is a lot of people think organic means that it's a health claim. It's actually a farming practice usually more is. Mm -hmm. So if you choose organic, it's about how the cows are raised. So if you choose organic, they typically are out on grass for a certain number of days out of the year. They are not allowed to be treated with antibiotics. On the flip side, like conventional, if they are like on our farm, if they are treated with antibiotics, um, they actually go into an entirely separate pen and they're milked separately. Like none of their milk enters the food supply system, which I think is a huge misconception there. So there's 
like, you know, there's all, I feel like there's misconception that there's like antibiotics in conventional milk. That is mm-hmm. not true. It is tested to the parts per trillion. If a tanker at my dairy were to test for antibiotics, um, it would be dumped and we'd have to pay for it. We'd have to pay for all the people who like the company that brought the truck, the truck driver's time, all of that would be fall on us. So there is so I wish I could tell you all of the different protocol we have to make sure that never happens. Um, and so, but again, if having cows never treated with antibiotics is important to you, like organic is a great choice. Um, you know, fair life. I personally get the chocolate fair life for my girls because I love the lower sugar and the higher protein. I feel like they're getting a little extra. So again, it's like personal preference. I would say at any given time I can have like two or three different milks in my fridge. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all cow's milk, but they're just different types depending on what I'm using it for. Totally. Okay. So I'm going to ask you one more question about dairy. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people are concerned about the treatment of animals, especially when it comes to dairy, because, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I've seen primarily around dairy is that it's so horrible because you're consistently impregnate, false impregnating cows to continuously produce dairy. Yeah. So this is a big one for dairy. I'm glad you brought it up um, because it is one I actually like to talk about. I will say in my lifetime of being dairy farm, animal welfare has never been better than it is today. We absolutely, everything on our dairy goes back to cow comfort. Um, I think people would be shocked to know we have a vet on staff that comes out once a week, does herd health check. We have a nutritionist that has a PhD that plans all of our cows diets down to everything they eat. They eat way more well-rounded meals than I probably do most days, uh, all the way down to the minerals, vitamins, everything that they get. I mean, we have a team of people like around the clock who are ensuring animal welfare. And then as far as, you know, kind of like the process of milking. So we actually use what's called AI. So it's artificial insemination. So there are no bulls on our farm. And a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions even about AI. AI tends to be a lot safer for the cows, a lot easier for the cows. Um, It's safer for the employees. Bulls are very aggressive. I Mm. have seen my dad's truck, the driver's side of his door crashed in because a bull ran at him when he was in a pen and crashed into his truck. They are very aggressive animals. They are huge animals. And um, one of the actually cool things is if you were to have a bull in with cows, our cows would get pregnant more often because as nature has it, as soon as a cow comes into heat, a bull is going to obviously approach her, ride her, do all, you know, the birds and the bees. Um, and whereas with us being in control of it, what we do is we will actually skip a couple heats to essentially not have her get pregnant again. Um, and you know, give her a break, have her get back to health, build up, you know, all those vitamins and minerals. She needs to have a healthy, like calf and pregnancy. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of intricacies into it, of what goes on kind of like into why we do what we do, but a lot of it goes back to, you know, animal welfare. And then I think another thing that's a misconception is that cows are milked like all of the time. Mm -hmm. So our cows actually only spend about eight minutes in the barn a day getting milk twice a day. And that's it. The rest Mm -hmm. of the time they're in their pen, hanging out, chewing their cud. Best way to see if a dairy cow is doing good is you want to see her hanging out in the back of her pen, chewing her cud. So just very relaxed atmosphere. Um, and so, you know, that is that people think they're in the barn all day, like hooked up to milking machines. And that literally could not be further from the truth. And then there is multiple months out of the year where they are not milking at all. It's what we call a dry cow. And so she is just dry and hanging out on our farm, eating, 
relaxing, not being milked. Um, and so there's, there's a lot more stages to the cow's life cycle than I think what people always see, um, you know, what's being like displayed in media or in like activist videos. Um, you know, I mentioned a couple times, like I literally live, my backyard is close up cow pens. And so our cows are right here, a part of our, you know, everyday life. Like we are drinking the same water as them living on the same piece of land as them. Um, and really like our entire livelihood is based on the health of those cows. And so I think that there's just a lot more when you when you see negative things about dairy I think it's painted in very like broad picture um and the human component is often taken out of it right like you don't mm -hmm. see the family farm that's living on the farm taking care of the cows or the employees that have been with us for 40 years you know that have you know are an integral part of our operation um and so I think a lot of times that is all missing from these conversations and so I could probably I feel like I've just word vomited on you but I could go on and on about cow care but there's just so much more that goes into it than I think meets the eye of what you're going to see in like an online video or, or even just a quick conversation with someone, you know, it's, it's literally just day in and day out of caring for the cows. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And I think it's, um, really reassuring to hear it from somebody who's obviously in their daily, like that is your life. And so who better to speak on it than you. Okay. I have a segment on my show called here for it or not. And yep. I have a handful of topics for you and you can just tell me whether you're here for them or not. Okay. Okay. Would you ever cheat on dairy and drink almond milk? N not here for it. No. Really? I've never tried. I know this is going to sound terrible. I'm like a big booty too. So I try, I will try almost everything. I cannot get myself to do like almond milk and I love almonds. Like I will eat a handful of almonds, but I can't bring myself to try the almond milk. I'm so sorry. Almond farmers. I love you, but I'm just a stand for dairy. Oh, I'm surprised by that. I, I get it. Cause dairy is your life, but I'm surprised you haven't tried almond milk. I know I should do it. I should do it. I'll maybe I'll do it for like a reel and you guys can all get my genuine reaction. <laughs> we'll talk first. and I can tell you like better brands because some <laughs> they don't all taste no. the same. <laughs> That's such good advice. Okay. We'll have to go off air for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hereford or not lab grown meat. Okay. So this, I feel like I'm just genuinely curious. I'd probably try it. Um, I've heard that they serve it at a restaurant in San Francisco and my sister lives in San Francisco. So I keep saying when I go to visit her, I'm going to try to find it. Although I've heard it's like a fortune. So I don't know if I would want to splurge on lab grown meat yet, but I think I would probably try it. But if I'm going to try lab grown meat, I probably should try almond milk. So maybe I'll add both to my list. I agree. In, in my brain, I'm like the priorities that you're more willing to try lab grown meat than almond milk makes me nervous. <laughs> I know. Okay. So I know. I'm sorry. I need to reevaluate. <laughs> okay. But then, okay. So if you had to pick between a lab grown meat or a Beyond Burger, which would you pick? I think I would pick the lab grown meat. And I say that because one time online, which this is like fear mongering too. So I should know better, but I saw a thing that it was like dog food, the list of ingredients and in dog food and the list of ingredients and beyond burger. And I just can't unsee it. And I know it's like, not true. I like, I know all of the rational conversations around that. Like it's essentially, you know, obviously just a plant-based protein, but I can't unsee that. <laughs> I get that. I've had several beyond burgers and, and I've definitely eaten plenty. Um, but I had a friend of mine and she was like, you know what I think is going to happen with the beyond burger. She's like, you know, those commercials that are like, if you are a loved one has ever <laughs> eaten a beyond burger, call this number. And I was like, Oh my God. 
That's hysterical. That is the best thing I've heard about the Beyond Burger. That makes me laugh so hard. Oh my goodness. That's great. <laughs> okay. Here for it or not raw milk. Ooh. Okay. I know I feel like I'm supposed to say like here for it or not. And I'm giving like way longer explanations. Oh, so I actually grew up drinking raw milk and drank it all the way until my first pregnancy. So I, um, feel like I maybe fall somewhere in the middle. I don't fall in the camp of believing that like raw milk is like a magical super food beyond like I think milk is just a superfood. So I'm very much for pasteurization. I think pasteurization serves such a great purpose of making a food very safe and while still very nutritious. Um, and I also, though, at the same time, I'm a firm believer in food choice. So if you choose raw milk, I just think that you do accept some risk that it is like I always compare it to like having sushi, right? Like I probably wouldn't have mm. sushi on the side of the road from a random like stranger, right? Like I would want, I want to know where my raw fish is coming from. If you choose to do raw milk, I like do your research, know your farmer, make sure they're doing all the tests that ensure like safety, quality, all of those things. Um, but I also think people should feel so good just about the regular pasteurized milk at the grocery store. Cause as I've said, that's what I choose nowadays for my family. Totally. Okay. Here for it or not GMO crops here for it. So I, I know, oh my gosh, your face. I am here for GMO crops. I think that, um, there, this goes into like the sustainability side, but I think that GMOs, okay. uh, offer a lot. Of, there's only eight or nine GMO crops out there. I think people think there's a lot more than there is, um, but they can help make a plant, you know, resistant to different diseases and things that have happened, uh, different, lots of different things. There's lots of different reasons for GMOs that can make a food like golden rice more nutritious. Um, and so I, I think that the pros like outweigh the cons and I think they help farmers do more with less, which is really important. Um, but I feel like GMOs is a whole nother podcast conversation. <laughs> totally. Fascinating. I'm actually, you guys should cover that on an episode because I, I know we need to. We have it on our really list. Curious. It's one though, neither Natalie or I are crop farmers really right. like at our core. So we need to find an expert to bring on, which if you know, if you listen to Discover Ag, we have interviews regularly where we bring on an expert. So we need to bring on a GMO expert. Maybe we need to bring on two, like two varying opinions mm -hmm. and have them kind of have a conversation. Um, but it's definitely a topic we need to cover. Yeah, I would love that. Okay, last one. Hereford or not, anything with a plant based label. Ooh, I, I am here for it. There are things that I really love that I'm like, that have that plant-based label, but it, it, every once in a while it, it irks me a little bit when yeah. I see the plant-based label. I'm like, not everything, like my shampoo does not need to have plant-based label on it. Like I'm fine with my shampoo being plant-based <laughs> or not, whichever. Um, so I, I'm here for it. I feel like there is a time and place for all sorts of different foods and, and products in our like regimens. Um, and so, you know, I say that while I use a beef tallow as my moisturizer, you know, so I feel like there's all sorts of different products from animal-based to plant-based that I, I consume and use. Totally. Tara, thank you so much. You shared so much information. I feel like I learned so much about the dairy industry and just regulations. Um, I really appreciate your time. Please let everybody know like where they can find you, connect with you, listen to Discover, anything you want to share. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for everyone who listened. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I loved having this conversation. It's always fascinating to hear what kind of questions people have about dairy. So I really appreciate it. Um, if you want to find me online, I'm at Tara Vanderdusen. If you want to listen to Discover, you're obviously a podcast person. If you're listening to this, go over to Discover Ag Podcast. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, we share, we're a weekly episode. And like we said, we like to have fun about food and farming. 
So don't be scared off if you don't know anything about agriculture or farming. We definitely um, try to bring relatable topics um, that would be of interest to people inside and outside of agriculture. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel, 58ember.com, or find us at 58 Ember Media on socials. We know that whether you are scrolling through social media, checking your inbox, or reading the latest article, there is a lot of confusing headlines about food. Enter Discover Ag, the podcast, where food meets pop culture. Hi, I'm Natalie, a cattle rancher and pharmacist. And I'm Tara, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist. And every Thursday, we break down the top three trending topics around food, but with a twist. We're kind of like the toast, but for food. We take our witty personalities and meld them with our knowledgeable backgrounds to talk about food in a way that you can relate to. And don't worry, while we may live on farms and work on farms, we are definitely not your average farmers. We're more like your new go-to foodie friend. So tune in every Thursday and expect to be wildly entertained and informed while together we discover ag.